Welcome back to Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and today I'm shot out of a cannon as week one of college football kicked off last night. We have more games tonight, and then our first full Saturday of action ahead. We have a great show for you playing today, but first a reminder to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. If you like the show, we'd love if you leave us a five-star review. So here's the deal. This is our first uh, preview week of the season. And what we're going to do this season is I'm going to be coming to you mostly solo uh, sometime midweek. This week I was moving across the country, so a little delayed. Wanted to make sure we got something out to you this week. So coming a little, little bit late, but typically I'll be coming to you sometime midweek and looking at the week ahead. Uh, definitely talking about what I'm going to be watching, what I'm going to be betting, and maybe do a, a bigger picture topic here or there. Maybe have a guest once in a while. Maybe Brian will come on once in a while. Uh, we'll see how it goes, but definitely want to make sure we're talking about the week ahead sometime in the middle of the week. Uh, so let's get to it. We had some football last night already. We had two big games, Penn State going to Purdue, and then the renewal of the backyard brawl, Pitt and West Virginia, and both delivered. I thought both were good, fun games to watch. I was complaining a little bit last week about the lackluster week zero and how we kind of go into the college football season with a whimper, kind of limp in. Not last night. We didn't limp in last night. We had two thrilling games that came down to the very end. Penn State taking down Purdue 35-31. That was really the game that I focused a lot of my attention on. I did bet Purdue plus three and a half. Very, very, very disappointed with that result. I felt like Purdue was the right side throughout the whole night. Uh, I felt like they had good success on offense. They were moving the ball through the air. You know, they had a late lead and they just couldn't hang on to it. And I've been critical of Sean Clifford at Penn State and you know, I think last night you kind of got the full Sean Clifford experience where he threw a back-breaking interception, a pick six in the fourth quarter, but then engineered a fantastic game-winning drive that ultimately gave gave Penn State the win. Um, so credit to him. Credit to him for engineering that drive. Uh, but you also got to consider that he did throw the back-breaking interception. So I, I can't say I'm a Sean Clifford fan still, but you got to give him credit for what he did. They went 80 yards, took him 80 yards in a minute, 25 seconds uh, to to win the game. They were down three. and I mean, they moved the ball effortlessly down the field. He did a great job of getting it in the hands of his playmakers, um, letting them make plays. And Penn State had a lot of success last night when they were able to get their playmakers matched up against linebackers. At least two of their touchdowns came that way, including the game-winning touchdown uh, where they got a running back matched up on the linebacker and let him go to work. Clifford put the ball in his hands. And Purdue's play calling their last couple of drives at the end of the game when they had a lead and they were trying to to ice the game away, I, I felt like it really left a lot to be desired. They did neither team had much success running the ball throughout the night. So, you know, Purdue threw the ball a lot on their last two drives. After taking the lead 31-28, they had a possession where they ran six plays, killed a minute 37 and then they had another possession where they ran six plays, killed two minutes, six seconds. And then the the next possession for Penn State is when they, they came down and took the lead. And, 
know, they, they, they threw the ball a lot. They were not having a lot of success running. And I think the really frustrating thing was it wasn't just the types of passing plays they were doing. I get they've had success passing the ball tonight, but it was most of, it seemed like most of the routes were intermediate to deep routes. And, you know, we did work once Aiden O'Connell completed a 17 yard pass on third down to Charlie Jones and Charlie Jones had an absolutely unbelievable night. I think that's a combo we'll be talking about all year, the O'Connell to Jones combo. And I think we're going to hear over and over and over again, how they grew up together and played uh, youth sports together. So get, get used to that one, get ready for that. But they did complete that pass, but they had a bunch of other incompletions that stopped the clock, and it just kills you. I mean, they, they could have iced the game away. They could have iced the game away. They got the ball back up three with 6.27 to go, and then they gave the ball back to Penn State with 4.50 to go. Then they got it back again, 4.28 to go, gave it back to them with 2.22 to go. So that, that possession, starting with 4.28 to go, that, I mean, they could have iced the game away right there. So um, disappointing if you're a Purdue fan, if you're a Purdue bet- better. And I guess if you're a Penn State fan, you know, definitely encouraging that they went in there and came out with a win. Definitely encouraging that Joey Porter Jr. looks like he's one of the best defensive players in the Big Ten, if not the country. But you got to be concerned that they they didn't seem to be able to run the ball um, when you're playing in the Big Ten. When you're playing in a conference, it's known for grinding it out on the ground. Uh, they only had 98 yards on the ground. That, of course, does include sacks. But they didn't have anybody anybody with a carry who averaged over four yards a carry. It seemed like their best rushing attack was actually when they went empty backfield and they let Sean Clifford uh, make something happen with his legs. So I'm not sure that either of these teams are great teams or are going to be competing for a big 10 title. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty confident that they're not, but nevertheless, a very entertaining game to start the college football season. The other game was the, was the backyard brawl. And like I said, wasn't too focused on that one, but uh, another one that came down to the end, great atmosphere there in Pitt. And I would just say, this is why we need to continue to cherish these rivalries, to preserve these rivalries because Pitt came in as depending when you got it, seven and a half, eight point favorite. And West Virginia was there with a lead in the fourth quarter. And that's what makes college football special. So I uh, love that this game happened. And, you know, I just think it's everything that's, that's good about college football and fun about college football. Okay. Now it's time to look ahead. We have a huge slate of games coming up this weekend. It's finally back. We finally get the full slate. I have 15 games that I'm betting. So I'm going to go through what I'm watching and what I'm betting together. We're going to talk about it all kind of in one big chunk. But first, let's talk about the showcase game of the week. That's on ABC in primetime, 730 Eastern. Number five, Notre Dame goes to Columbus to take on the Ohio State Buckeyes. Marcus Freeman and his Notre Dame coaching debut going back home to where he played his college ball. What a game. 
what a matchup. Sometimes things just work out where it gives us the excitement we need that we crave out of college football. And again, this is what college football is all about. Notre Dame going to Ohio State. It's not in some NFL stadium. You know, it's not in Ireland. This is in the horseshoe where two of the most historic college football teams are squaring off week one. So as for the game itself, you know, I think we all agree. Anybody who observes college football, watches college football, knows that this Ohio State offense is going to be an absolute force this year. They have, uh, with C.J. Stroud, you know, one of the, the front runners for the Heisman. They have some unbelievable receivers. They absolutely have it all. They're going to be an extremely explosive offense. But the question is, and we talked about it on the Big Ten preview show, Brian and I, is what can we expect out of the Ohio State defense? You know, they have high expectations. At Media Day, Ryan Day said that the expectation at Ohio State is for them to have a top 10 defense. And there's, uh, you know, they bring in Jim Knowles, who did an outstanding job turning that Oklahoma State defense around. But the fact of the matter is that last year, they really struggled to stop the run. And you know, we heard from Kyle Kelly last week, who writes over at Inside ND Sports, which is Rivals Notre Dame affiliate, and he said he really expects the strength of this Notre Dame team to be their offensive line. Now, they lost Kyron Williams, their star running back uh, from last season, but they do bring back a lot of talent at the running back position, including, including Chris Tyree, who's an absolute burner and could create some explosive plays in the running game behind a a talented experienced offensive line and I think that will be the game plan for Notre Dame is to try to test Ohio State on the ground and to see is this run defense really fixed or is this the run defense that gave up nearly 300 yards on the ground to Michigan that gave up 269 to Oregon so I think that's the matchup I'm really interested in watching and that I think will determine how close Notre Dame can stick in this game because I think the game plan for any team I don't think you have to be a football genius to know that if you're trying to pull an upset you have to limit, especially against an explosive offensive team like Ohio State, you have to limit their possessions. And that means eating a lot of clock while you're on offense. And you got to do that with the run game. And, you know, Notre Dame does come into this game as a 17 and a half point favorite. uh, uh, Sorry, underdog, rather 17 and a half point underdog in a top five matchup, which is quite a bit of disrespect to Notre Dame. But I think that's the matchup that's going to really determine whether they can stay close or not. And based on you know what Kyle told us last week, I have confidence that Notre Dame's offensive line can do some things in the run game and Notre Dame can maybe have some long drives, eat some clock, get some points on the board and keep Ohio State's offense off the field. And that's what you got to do to have any sort of chance in this game. I think that eventually Ohio State's offense will just be too much to handle because that's just, I mean, they are, in my opinion, the best offense in the country, and eventually they're going to overwhelm you. So how I like 
to bet this game is Notre Dame plus 10 in the first half. I like Notre Dame to keep it close in the first half. Uh, and then I like Ohio State's offense to just overwhelm them. That's why I don't like that full game, 17 and a half up to 18 some places. So give me Notre Dame in the first in the first half in that showcase game of the week. Okay. Let's move on now, kind of in chronological order, starting with Friday night. So Friday night, the game that I want to watch is Virginia Tech, six-point favorite, traveling to Old Dominion. It's an in-state matchup. It's a battle of two James Franklin coordinators with Brent Pry, now the head coach at Virginia Tech, and Ricky Ronnie, who was on the offensive side of the ball at Penn State, now the head coach at Old Dominion. This is a game that I think a lot of Virginia Tech fans are, are a little bit scared about because they lost to this Old, Old Dominion program in 2018. Uh, and it's really, you know, an embarrassing thing for Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech dominated that state for so long. I mean, I feel like for Virginia Tech fans, they felt like it was embarrassing to lose to Virginia for a long time. But to lose to Old Dominion, it's just a far cry from where that program was. Um, and Old Dominion is located in, in the Tidewater area, which is where... Virginia Tech really made their hay in recruiting for years and years and years. And I don't think Old Dominion is necessarily stealing any recruits from Virginia Tech quite yet, but Virginia Tech would be well-served to go in there, make a statement in Brent Pry's first game, and really put it to Old Dominion. Uh, but I don't necessarily know if that's going to happen. Brian was very low on Virginia Tech coming into the season. It's going to be a, a hype crowd at Old Dominion. Uh, so that is the one I want to watch on Friday night. As far as what I'm betting, I got a couple bets on Friday night. So first, Michigan State minus 20 and a half against Western Michigan. Western Michigan is just 126 in returning production, including just 27% on offense. They lost a ton on the offensive line and at receiver, two areas where you don't want to be breaking in new talent against a Big Ten foe. Michigan State, on the other hand, returned 75% of their productivity on defense, and that was a defense that led the Big Ten in sacks last year and is projected to be 20th in SP plus this year, you know, they were a little boomer bus bus last year, give up a lot of big plays in the passing game if they didn't get home. But uh, against a Mac team in Western Michigan that that has a lot to replace on the offensive side, I like Michigan State to to win handily. So laying less than three touchdowns. Give me Sparty. The other game that I love on Friday night is Temple at Duke. Under 51 and a half. These were two of the most putrid teams offensively last year. Temple averaged under eight and a half points per game over their last seven games of the season last year. They were 88th in yards per play. Not an explosive offense at all. For Duke, not much better. Five times last year, they scored 17 points or less. They were 125th in red zone scoring percentage and 122nd in yards per play. Two of the most putrid offenses that we saw in college ball last year. Don't expect them to get, get much better this year. So give me that under 51 and a half. On to Saturday. Finally, first Saturday, first real Saturday of the college ball season. You'll wake up, you eat breakfast, you watch game day, you get your picks in, you get ready for the day ahead, and you sit on the couch for 12 straight hours. Maybe if you're lucky, 
get yourself to a little outdoor TV setup. That would be my look. Once Tailgate Tomei makes it big and Brian and I are going on road shows like we talked about last week, I, I'm getting myself the most ideal outdoor college football watching setup there there is because September you want to be outside if you can but you want to be watching games as well so there was one bar in Atlanta I love that had a great outdoor tv setup uh I recommend for everybody find the bar in your town city Hamlet Berg that has that outdoor tv setup because it's clutch for September and even into October a little bit depending on on where you live uh but for me, I will be inside all day this weekend, parked in front of the TV, going to get a little three TV setup going, get maybe a little laptop action, get the phone out, going to be trying to catch it all. But on TV number one, what I am going to have is North Carolina going to Boone to take on Appalachian State. Uh, App State is a one and a half point favorite in this game. North Carolina played last week. They took down Florida A&M, uh, but they did not look fantastic doing it. At the end of the third quarter, it was 35-24. But on the bright side, new quarterback Drake May, yes, that's brother of uh, former Tar Heel basketball player Luke May, had five touchdowns in his debut. He is listed at 6'4 220 pounds, but he was moving all over that field. He's got some legs, could be an exciting quarterback to watch, so uh, I'm excited to see him. That Carolina D, though, they were looking shaky once again, which is what we've seen consistently throughout the Mac Brown era. Uh, which is why I like App State to win this game. I'm taking App State on the money line, minus 118. They have a history of performing big when it matters most against the, the, the P5 teams. Last year, they lost by two at Miami. In 2019, they beat both North Carolina on the road and South Carolina on the road. And in 2018, they had an overtime loss to Penn State in Happy Valley that they, I mean, it could have been a win. They really should have won that game. So App State knows how to show up big on the big stage. They have this one at home in Boone, which they never get. They never get this opportunity. This crowd is going to be rocking. I always love to take the the small school uh, against an in-state rival when it's at home. And, you know, especially when it's a team like App State that is a really talented program. Last week on our G5 preview, I think I was a little harsh on Chase Bryce. I said I didn't really like him at App State, and I think I was a little stuck uh, kind of remembering his his Duke days and ignoring his performance last year because he had a really good performance last year. In 2020 at Duke, he was 112th in QBR, which is ESPN's all-encompassing quarterback rating stat. Last year, he was up to 40. Um, he cut down on his picks, although he did still have 11. But overall, he had a really nice season. It'll be interesting to see if he can take that step up. But even if he doesn't, I think they're still good enough to win this game. They have a, a fantastic rushing attack, returning two 900-plus yard rushers in Nate no Noel and Cameron Peoples and four senior starters on the offensive line. So give me App State and then give me the over as well. Over 56 and a half. Last year, both uh, were top 35. Both teams were top 35 in yards per play. North Carolina scored 30 plus points in eight of their 13 games. 
App scored 30 plus in 10 of 14, and they were both super explosive and their defensive were prone to giving up explosive plays. So North Carolina was ninth in offensive explosiveness. App was 49th. And on the defensive side, App was the 21st worse at limiting explosive plays. And North Carolina was 58. So explosive offenses and then defenses that give up explosive plays. I love this over, over 56 and a half. Uh, that's where I'm going in this game. I'm super excited for this one. Now, on TV too, I'm going to be staying in the state of North Carolina because once again, a Power 5 program in the state is going to a G5 program in the state, and that's number 13 NC State going to East Carolina as an 11.5-point favorite. Now, the hype train is rolling in Raleigh. The Wolfpack are ranked for the first time preseason since 2003, and there's some eerie similarities to, to that year. So in that 2003 year, they returned a senior quarterback, Philip Rivers, who was the, uh, you know, all everything at that time. They went 11 and three the season before with a Gator Bowl win over Notre Dame. And, you know, very similar to this year, NC State had a nice nine and three season last year. They are bringing back Devin Leary at quarterback, who is uh, the preseason ACC player of the year. They beat Clemson last year, finished number 20 in the in the postseason poll. So what did they do back in 2003? Well, they went seven and five and they finished four and four in the conference in a three way tie for fourth place. NC State fans are hoping that's not what happens this year, but it really is a consistent theme with NC State. When expectations are high, that's when they underperform. And those parallels are a little bit eerie. The NC State defense should be very good. Uh, I'm not extraordinarily concerned about them in this game. I think they might take a little time with ECU. ECU does have a fifth-year quarterback in Holton Aylers, who hails from Greenville. So they got some experience there, uh, but they had some problems last year from an offensive line uh, perspective and from just taking sacks perspective, which is also on on the quarterback Aylers. They were 98th in sack percentage allowed last season and going up against a a strong NC State defense. I think uh, that's just going to be too much for them. NC State was in the top 50 in sack percentage last season. But ECU does have a history of coming up big, especially at home and especially against the Wolfpack. The last two games they played against the Wolfpack in Greenville, they did win. Now, granted, that was back in 2016 and 2010, but still definitely going to be a scary one for Wolfpack fans, given the high expectations for the season, uh, their history against ECU, and their history of underachieving. So I I think the atmosphere, again, just like an app, is going to be rocking. I'm going to be tuning in for this one, but I am not betting this one because I don't like taking NC State on the road in that in-state rivalry against ECU, but I also uh, I, I think NC State's defense is just going to be too good. So that's a stay away for me. And then TV3... I'm going to check out Colorado State, uh, 30 and a half point dog going to number eight, Michigan. This is the Cade McNamara start. So interested to see how that shakes out. Uh, Hardball's definitely made the start to the season more interesting by deciding to have a competition out in the public at quarterback. And then this is Jave Norvell's first game as the head coach at Colorado State. 
coming over from Nevada where he had a lot of success, moving to a Mountain West program that is much more invested in football success. And I think going to be able to get more talent and provide Norvell with more resources in Nevada. So he may not show it today, but really interested to see what he can do moving forward. Other games that I'm betting at the noon time slot. So I'm going Rutgers plus seven and a half at Boston College. Uh, For BC, they came into last season with an offensive line that was supposed to be elite, elite, elite. They did not necessarily turn out to be that way. And then they lost a lot of these guys. Uh, So... Rutgers doesn't have many strengths, but the D-line has always been one of their strengths. These are two good defenses, two bad offenses. I expect this game to be close. Uh, I think if there's one area that Rutgers can take advantage of, it's the D, it's the Boston College offensive line with their strength on D-line. So uh, I like that aspect. I don't love the Rutgers offense at all. Uh, we don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be at this point, but none of the options are are probably great. It's a little scary, but with two bad, two bad offenses, uh, I, I kind of like taking the points there. So give me Rutgers plus the seven and a half. Okay. Moving on to three 30 on TV one. I am going to be watching number 23, Cincinnati plus six and a half going to Number 19, Arkansas, that game is on ESPN. And look, I mean, for, for me, Cincinnati is a team, they, they deserve the benefit of the doubt. They did what nobody said could be done. They made the playoff as a group of five team. They had nine players drafted uh, to the NFL last season. And Luke Fickle has done everything you can possibly do with a G5 program. And I think this is a game that's going to be you know, really telling for them uh, with losing all that, going to a good Arkansas team that has a good defense, has an exciting offense, returns KJ Jefferson at quarterback, who's one of the most fun players to watch in all of college football. I'm sure the Arkansas crowd will be hyped for that. They expect big things this year, but I, I just, I think that everybody's sleeping on Cincinnati maybe a little too much. Yes, they lose a ton, but they are one of the most well-run programs in college football. So I think this is going to be a a fun, exciting game to watch. Uh, I am not betting this one necessarily on the total or the spread. I do have a money play that I'm going to mention at the end as I get to my money line parlay of the week, but no bet on the spread or the total here. Just excited to watch this one. See what Cincinnati new look Cincinnati looks like. See what, uh, see what Arkansas looks like with KJ Jefferson coming into this season on TV two. I'm going to be watching the national champion Georgia Bulldogs play their first game since hoisting that trophy last January. They are going to play number 11 Oregon in the Mercedes-Benz Dome in Atlanta. Georgia is 16.5 point favorites. Uh, Again, this is another top 15 matchup with a big spread, Georgia at number three, Oregon at number 11. And I am betting this one. I'm betting Georgia minus 16 and a half. I think this one is just a no-brainer. Georgia is not going to lose. First off, there's no way Georgia is going to lose to Bo Nix on opening night uh, after winning a national championship. But more than that, they are going to dominate this game. 
Oregon, we know their problem last year against Utah. Their problem was the physicality of Utah. If you can't handle the physicality of Utah, you sure as hell cannot handle the physicality of Georgia. So I love Georgia to roll in this one. They lost us so much from last year's team. But you know what? That's the beauty of recruiting at an absolutely elite level because they are still one of the most talented teams in college football. According to 24-7 Sports, uh, college football team talent composite rating, which takes a look at all the rosters and evaluates these rosters based on their recruiting rankings, You know whether they were a five-star, four-star, three-star, so on. Georgia is the second most talented roster in the country, only behind Alabama, but they have 15 five-stars on the roster more than anybody else in the country. So this team has so much talent. Um, they are still going to be an unbelievable defense. And, you know, their their offense was really good last year. Stetson Bennett was ha, did the things that he needed to do. He made the right plays. He made the right throws. Uh, I think they're, I really like their, their running game. I think their running game is going to be really good this year, uh, even though they, they have to replace some of their, their key running backs. They still have a ton of talent there. And that's just the name of the game with this is Georgia has so much talent still everywhere. They don't think it's going to be a problem for them last year in their 12 wins against power five opponents. Uh, they came by an average of 29 points. They had 10 wins by 17 or more. Oregon's defense was not that good last year. 115th in third down conversion, 104th in negative play percentage. They did not create negative plays on defense, and I think that's something Oregon would have to do if they want to have any chance to keep this one close. Like I said, I like Georgia's offense. It was both efficient and explosive last year. The O-line was an elite unit, and I expect them to continue to be an elite unit. I think Georgia has their way with Oregon and former defensive coordinator Dan Lanning. I'm not scared about Bo Nix. In fact, Bo Nix being the starting quarterback at Oregon uh, just made me more likely to take this line. So give me the dogs all day, minus 16 and a half. They're going to show out. TV3. I am watching number 24, Houston. They are four and a half point favorites going on the road to UTSA, the Roadrunners. Houston's a team that I talked about. We talked about in our G5. These are both teams we talked about uh, in our G5 preview last week. Both, you know, solid programs. Houston has high expectations for this year, returning uh, two net quarterback. I, I'm pretty big on them. You know, I, I bet them over six and a half points or sorry rather over six and a half wins in conference but this is a game that scares me that's the reason I bet they're over in conference and not uh for the season because they have two tough games to start the season with UTSA and Texas Tech and UTSA is a team that uh was unbelievably successful last year they won conference USA it was their first ever conference championship in the history of the program this is another in-state rivalry game where Houston's not quite a P5 school yet, but they act like a P5 school and they will be a P5 school soon. So in essence, it's a P5 going to a G5. I expect the Alamo Dome crowd to be rocking for this one. I'm a sucker for crowd games. Look, look at the games I put on this list. I have App State, ECU, and UTSA hosting. I love these games. Um, so I'll be watching this one on the third TV. And then let's move on to prime time. So we already talked about 
Notre Dame at Ohio State. That is going to be my TV one. That is the most impactful game of the day. But I think the second most impactful game of the day is at 7 p.m. Eastern time, Utah going to the swamp to take on the Florida Gators. Utah number seven, Florida unranked. And Utah is a three and a half point favorite, maybe three, depending where you look. Uh, well, I'm huge on Utah this year. I love Utah. I love uh, how phys- I love their physicality. I love the consistency of Kyle Whittingham. I love Cam Rising, uh, but I think Florida is not getting a ton of credit. I- I've I've been saying, you know, Billy Napier has basically said, "Give me time, be patient." And when I hear that, I'm like, yeah. Uh, if he's going to say that, I'm going to believe him. Let's give him time, give him patience. I don't think they're going to be great this year, but they are still Florida. They still have a ton of talent. They still have Anthony Richardson at quarterback, who is one of the most electric players in all of college football. And this is not going to be an easy game for Utah. So I am excited to see what Utah's got. If they can go down take down an SEC school. If they can, it's really going to jumpstart their college ball playoff uh, hype, much like it did for Oregon taking down Ohio State last season. Not exactly apples to apples. Ohio State, much more highly regarded than Florida is, but still would be an unbelievable win for the Utah program and excited to see what they bring to the table for what is a year with super high expectations. TV3. I'm going also this one, 730 PM Georgia state traveling to South Carolina. Uh, this is an interesting game. South Carolina overachieved last year and Shane Beamer's first year. They have Spencer Rattler coming in at quarterback, which will really upgrade the quarterback situation. But Georgia state is a, a good program in itself. They've done a, they had a great season last year and they are 14th in returning production this year. Um, They had a a good defense last season. They were seventh in havoc percentage, eighth in front seven havoc percentage. And South Carolina had one of the worst offensive lines in college football. They were 108th in line yards and 103rd in both stuff and sack rate. Uh, That means they weren't getting any push in the running game. They were getting stuff repeatedly and they were giving up sacks. Now, they do return their entire two deep, including seven, uh, seven O linemen that started games. But you know, this is kind of the old adage: like, is it really good to return? Is returning production really good if those players aren't good? I I don't think so. So I kind of like that matchup. You don't hear that very often that a Sunbelt defensive line could have the advantage over an SEC offensive line. But in this case, I I think it could. I like uh, Georgia State's quarterback, Darren Granger. I like their running game. And I like Georgia State to keep this one close. Give me Georgia State plus 12 and a half. And I'll be watching this one closely. All right, in the night slot, I have a bunch of other games I'm playing. I don't know how I'm going to keep track of all these at once. I'm going to try my best, but here we go. 6 p.m., I'm taking Ohio plus four and a half, hosting FAU. Everybody's high on FAU after their blowout win against Charlotte in week zero. I do not like overreacting to week zero performances. Yes, FAU looked good, but Charlotte was moving the ball on them until their quarterback got hurt in the second quarter. So I like uh, taking Ohio with the points. You know, you have an FAU team going on the road for the first time. Everybody, I think there's a lot of overreaction to week one. I don't like overreaction. This is kind of an anti uh FAU play. So give me Ohio 
uh, hosting FAU with the four and a half. 7 p.m., I am taking Kentucky minus 16 and a half against Miami of Ohio. So Miami of Ohio just may be one of the teams that can win the MAC this year. However, I don't think that matters at all in this game. SP Plus has the Cats as nearly a 24-point favorite, so a huge difference between the SP Plus projection and the actual spread. Miami of Ohio was good on defense last year, but they lost a ton, 122nd nationally in returning defensive production. Kentucky is without running back Chris Rodriguez for this game. I, I don't know if that's maybe part of the reason why this line is so different than the SP Plus projection, However, I don't think one running back should make that big of a difference. He is a great player. He's super talented, but Kentucky as a whole has the talent to withstand that loss, has the depth to withstand that loss, and I like them beating Miami of Ohio pretty handily. So give me the Cats, minus 16 and a half, 7 p.m., uh, Army at Coastal Carolina. I'm playing under 53 and a half in this game. Both of these teams are bottom third in plays run per game. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be slow pace. They both run the ball a ton. Coastal runs the ball about 60% of the time last year. Army 86% of the time. That means the clock is moving. Things are, are running. So give me the under in this one all day. And then the last game of this primetime slot that I like is the Memphis-Mississippi State under 57 and a half. Everybody thinks about Mike Leach and Mississippi State and thinks offense, 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 but this Mississippi State defense is really, really good. I like them a ton. Uh, last year, Mississippi State score, uh, had games that had a total of 60 or less in 10 of the 13 games played. Memphis had totals of 60 or less in 8 of 12 games played. Last year when these two teams met, they scored 60 points. The total ended up at 60. Uh, that was the final score. Memphis actually won the game, but th that was largely on the back of Calvin Austin uh, had some unbelievable plays, including a punt return touchdown that really shouldn't have counted. Calvin Austin is no longer there at Memphis. I don't expect them to be nearly as explosive offensively. I love this Mississippi State defense. I think Mississippi State wins pretty handily, and blowouts are death knells for overs. So give me under 57.5 in the Memphis-Mississippi State game. Moving on to our last time slot of the night, that's the late night time slot. So what I'm watching this time slot is Boise State traveling to Oregon State. I think this is a huge year for Boise State, as we talked about a little bit last week, year two of the Andy Avalos era, and we're really going to find out. Can Boise State return to being that G5 darling that they were for so many years? Uh, because over the past several years, they've been replaced by UCF, by Cincinnati, by Houston. And those are teams that are now moving up to the P5. So can Boise State get back to being that team, being the, the Cinderella, the darling of, of the G5? We'll see. They would go on the road and, and they'd win games like this all the time against even more high-profile schools. Oregon State, we talked about a lot in our Pac-12 preview, and I like them offensively a ton. Um, I think 
they've been one of the more fun teams to watch for Pac-12 after dark. So I'm looking forward to watching this game. No play in this game. I don't have a great feel for it. Honestly, if I had to lean one way or another, I would lean Oregon State at home, but I'm not going to bet it. I don't have a great feel for it. There is one game at the late night time slot I am definitely betting, and I'm betting it a couple different ways, and that's Washington against Kent State. Washington is a minus 23 and a half point favorite, and I am betting Washington minus the points. I'm also betting Kent State's team total under 18 and a half. So when you hear about Kent State, all you hear about is what an explosive offense they've had, how Sean Lewis has turned them into such a great offensive team. Well, that may be true in the MAC, but that does not show up when they play Power 5 teams. Over the past four seasons, I'm going to take you through how they've done against Power 5 teams. So last year, they played Texas A&M, Iowa, and Maryland. They scored 10, 7, and 16 points. In 2019, they scored 7 against Arizona State, 16 against Auburn, and were shut out against Wisconsin. And then in 2018, uh, against Illinois, a bad Illinois team, they finally did. They did score 24 points against Penn State 10 and against Ole Miss 17. Again, Ole Miss not exactly known for their defense. If you need more reason, last year, Washington, Washington's D was the best at limiting explosive plays. And... Kent State's quarterback, Dustin Crum, who was a huge part of that offense, is gone, as are two of his top receivers and two all-conference linemen. So I love Washington here. I do not like Kent State. I do not like Kent State to score. Washington minus 23.5, Kent State under 18.5. And then we will end today's show with the weekly money line parlay. What I'm trying to do here is create a parlay to get you, you know, 10 to 1 odds or better, something along those lines. Today, I have one that nets out at plus 13.53, so about 13.5 to 1. And with that, we are taking App State minus 118 at home against North Carolina. Cincinnati plus 205 on the road against Arkansas. I, I do not think Cincinnati is getting enough respect here. I think at that those odds, you know, if you're saying two to one odds, Luke Fickle and Cincinnati are going to go pull an upset against Arkansas. I mean, we're not talking about Alabama here. We're still talking about Arkansas. I've heard the comparisons be like, look what Alabama did to them. Well, Arkansas is not Alabama. Arkansas is not Georgia. Don't get me wrong. They're a good program. They're a fun program. I like them, but let's give Cincinnati some credit. If you're looking for a bit of a long shot, I like that. And then the last one, UTSA plus 158 at home. You know, I love home dogs. We talked about the in-state component of it. UTSA, both teams have good offenses. I think it should be a shootout. And, you know, we saw, I think, again, a reminder in college football, weird things happen. And if you're trying to hit a 13 and a half to one parlay, you need some weird things to happen. So this isn't really a knock against Houston in any way. I love Houston. I love that over six and a half still in conference, over six and a half conference wins. So you need to go seven to one or better in conference. But I think going on the road against a tough offense, I think there's a chance that UTSA can come out with a win. So if I'm trying to create a 10 to one or better parlay, you know, I, I think that's when you throw in there. So again, App State minus 118, Cincinnati plus 205, UTSA plus 158. That comes out to 
plus 1353, about 13 and a half to one. And uh, this is one I'll put a half unit on. All my other bets today were full unit bets. This one's a half unit bet. We'll see if we can hit this and have some fun. I cannot wait to sit on the couch, watch all these games, eat some pizza, eat some wings, and just enjoy every moment that we have of college football. It's finally here. We made it. It's week one. Enjoy the games this week, everybody. Uh, If you want to follow my picks, follow me on Twitter at Gorgon Sports. You can also find me on the Action app at Gorgon Sports. I try to keep both Twitter and Action App updated with all my picks, including any live bets that I make. Uh, so if you you know want to find out things I'm adding late, things I'm adding live, follow me there. Uh, that's our show. We'll talk to you after week one. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. <laughs>